Hey, good morning. It's Paige Browning. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. In case you didn't notice, it is cold outside. If you felt cold, the plants in your neighborhood likely felt it even worse. Garden designer Sue Getz says we can all play a role in making green spaces in our communities climate resistant. I'll talk with her about that in a minute, but first let's get you caught up. The University of Washington's getting not one, but two big federal grants this week, worth over $4 million. UW made the grant list of the Biden-Harris Internet for All initiative, going out to minority-serving colleges and universities. UW Tacoma will use it to boost its work of getting laptops, internet, and digital training to people in need. The second grant, according to Fox 13, is from the Environmental Protection Agency. UW will use this to research climate change and vulnerable communities along the Duwamish River. Toll bills are coming due. If you haven't already checked for late bills and paid them back, Washington's Department of Transportation urges you to do it today. WashDOT has waived toll late fees since June of 2021, but that ends on March 1st, according to King 5. Expect to see a bill for a late fee if you're not good to go on the bill by tomorrow. And readers may soon notice a classic cartoon strip missing from the Seattle Times. Like the Washington Post, LA Times, and many other publications, the Seattle Times is dropping Dilbert. Dilbert's creator and cartoonist Scott Adams ranted against black people on YouTube over the weekend. Adams has a history of disparaging people of color and women in broad terms. The Seattle Times cut it from the weekday papers already and will strip Dilbert out of the Sunday edition after March 12th, since those editions are pre-printed. No word on what comic will replace it. It feels like we're in the depths of winter with this latest cold snap. But not to worry, spring is on the way, and spring means growing season, a time when many of us take to gardening. In recent years, we've become more accustomed to extreme weather, and as a result, it's more important to consider how we can better prepare for a resilient future. The good news is we can prepare our green spaces to better survive a warmer and more extreme future. Every little one new tree planted, you know, whatever that looks like, that's going to start making a difference. We have to start nicking away at this and doing nothing and leaving it just a concrete jungle is is not bringing the temperature down in our living space. That's Sue Getz, a professional garden designer. And she's here to tell us how anyone can garden and garden with climate change in mind. Sue, let's start with what we can do right now to prepare yards and gardens for spring. Kind of being an observer, you know, looking around the garden and seeing, you know, if if we have a rain event where water's ponding, like, hmm, something's going hmm. on there, uh, you know, and, and keeping an eye on plants and not really getting too crazy about like, oh, I should cut that down or I should, you, you know, we don't want to cut into plants right now while it's so cold. Hmm. So keeping your eyes on kind of, it's okay if you didn't get it cut in the fall, you can do that in the spring. Let's wait until this weather settles down a little bit. Ah. It will, it will be much. So it's more an observation time, walking mm. around, thinking about what you're going to do when it starts to warm up, maybe mm. think about some seeds you want to start in the house, a uh, little slower pace. And Sue, it can be frigid in the yard or garden one month, thaw the next month, and then possibly run into a heat wave a few months from now. 
But we are the evergreen state, something I've been wondering about. It, it That name sort of tells me there's some built-in resilience to climate change here. Is that true? What parts of the average yard or garden could be naturally resilient? You know, that's an interesting question, especially when you say we're the evergreen state. So we are lucky to have all the evergreens, Mm -hmm. the trees who are a beautiful resource for taking care of carbon sequestration and, you know, some more fancy words to go on, but, you know, kind of air and all of those things. So our abundance of trees is a huge resource in keeping really our climate a little bit more in check. It's it's a big conversation, how everything's changing mm-hmm. and what resilience really looks like. If we talk about what it means to be resilient, planting plants properly, giving them really good soil to live in that drains well, that takes in water like it should and it just doesn't just run into the storm drain or something like Mm -hmm. that. That's super important. Soil is is kind of the basis of a lot of this resilience that we need to have. I want to ask about atmospheric rivers, a phenomenon we're becoming more familiar with around here. What can gardeners do to protect from an extreme weather event like that? So in an atmospheric river, as we want to call it, a a rainfall event, if that water that's coming out of the sky, running down whatever, your neighbor's driveway into your yard, whatever that looks like, if that's just sitting on top of the soil and not draining away and just creating a muck pond, well, that's not healthy. And so we need to have soil that drains well. It's not crusted over with like a bark or something like that, that it's really the the water is really perking, I would say, perking into the soil so that it it has a place to go. And if it doesn't have a place to go, can we design a garden that gives it a, a, a rain swale or somewhere where water can go healthy, percolate in the soil, be filtered mm. through the plants, and then it has so much more value to get if it has to go into a, a storm drain, it's been filtered and and it's not just this massive runoff, right? So mm-hmm. so it really kind of again, it's it's heat, you know, for insulation. You, the soil is great, water. We want it to drain well and not hmm. make the plants just sit in it. Yeah, yeah. With our changing climate in mind, do you have any favorite plants native to Washington that you like to use for garden design? Yes. And, and, you know, native plants are getting a really good boost of conversation right now because we're thinking, are, are these the resilient ones? And the way I look at native plants is if we start looking at them like instead of going, oh, that's a tree, that's a shrub, that's a ground cover. How about we look at uh, like to me when I I think, oh, what would be a great hedgerow, right? A, 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 bu- a buffer that you could put you know, in your property line or whatever you need to do. And it would be Pacific wax myrtle, which is a wonderful native, Mirica, or um, with some elderberries. So what that is, is it's pollinator support. It's beautiful. These are tough, resilient plants. And if we think about the word like ground cover, right? We think somebody says, oh, should I plant a ground cover? Yeah. How about some Western sword fern or some creeping mahonia, which is Oregon grape or some salal? These are all incredible natives that just do really, really well. But if we think of them more in design terminology, I think we're more apt to use them. Uh, you know, shrubs like um, evergreen huckleberry. And to me, if somebody says, oh, I want a beautiful spring flowering shrub, well, why not red currant, ribisenguinea? brings in the hummingbirds. All of these have 
just that diversity that we can, you know, we talked about that right off the gun is like, what's diversity look like? Um, and it's using these natives, but thinking of them as more as design plants instead of what's a native I can use, you know, how would you use it? How would you put it in the garden? I've got a question about small spaces with this in mind. Seattle's a vibrant mix of urban space and a lot of greenery. But if someone doesn't have that much space to garden with, say they're in an apartment, they have a parking strip maybe or a roundabout, maybe a planter box. Can small spaces make much of a difference on the ecological system? Absolutely, yes. You knew I was going to say that, right? I, <laughs> I didn't know. Here it goes. Absolutely. To me, you know, if it's if it's a small space and, you know, maybe it's just like a little grass strip between the sidewalk and the, you know, the, the road, whatever that looks like. If it's just rock or something that's not giving some sort of life back to it, then it should be a planter. If someone lives on a balcony and they have some herbs, they have food, they have flavor, they have things for pollinators. There's just so much that can be done in small spaces. And I really feel like the horticulture industry is kind of stepping up or finding plants that are good for containers, like blueberries for containers. So you mm. can, or apple trees and, you know, these these kind of narrow columnar. Wow. Yeah, apple trees. So you could have an apple tree in a container. And what? It, yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> they're, they're, they're called columnar apples and they're super fun because you too could have, if you're a small space, why not grow what you love, what you use, what you're trying to support, whether it's your, your, your food and your flavor or a pollinator. I mean, why not mm. put a hummingbird garden in a container, plants that hummingbirds love and stick it right outside the window. So you can watch the hummingbirds play or under the feeder where you've hung a feeder. Wow. It's like, I, I, I don't think you should set limitations. I think you, you are blowing my mind. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. More yes. of that. <laughs> yes. Cause you know, I think of small spaces and I see some really beautiful in Seattle, um, uh, like roundabouts where people have planted wildflowers and it's beautiful, but I always wonder the impact of it um, within the whole ecosystem. Absolutely. Because we talked about this already, that diversity, you know, we're putting in another plant that flowers, another plant that feeds us, another plant that feeds an insect, whatever that looks like, the, you know, the better the diversity instead of this monoculture of just a hedge of green plants <laughs> that don't make mm -hmm. sense, you know, that don't offer back, then, yeah. you know, that's what we're looking for. And, and there's no limitation on that. Mm -hmm. Sue Getz is a garden designer, speaker and writer and works with clients through her Tacoma business, The Creative Gardener. Thanks again, Sue. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones. The show's also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers, Brandy Fullwood, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Paige Browning. Patricia Murphy will be back tomorrow.